Um, but if you are here for the first time and you're wondering, okay, what is this? Like, what are we actually doing here? This is called the read and rant. Um, and essentially all that we do is, is we spend about 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes reading scripture. And then we spend another uh, 20 to 30 minutes reflecting on the scripture. And this is, this is our morning bread. This is our breakfast. This is our spiritual breakfast. And for, it's, it's my spiritual breakfast, at least for you guys, it may be your lunch or your spiritual dinner. Um, but this is a, really our time of coming together and, and, and just disciplining ourselves in the reading of the word. When I first started the read and rant, I want everybody to understand this, that when I first started, first of all, I didn't expect to have, you know, over 200 people on TikTok and, you know, almost hundred people on IG coming every morning to do this. My intention was to take a couple of you and just to give you an opportunity to eavesdrop on my regular daily rhythm of reading scripture from a meditational posture. Yes, Bible study is great. Yes, the study of scripture is great, but it's more important for us to learn how to discern the scriptures through the Holy Spirit to be able to really hear from God in the reading of scripture. And that's the reason why we did this. The other reason why I did it was, is that I had a desire for you guys really to read the entire scripture. I believe that's the most empowering thing that any believer could do is first discipline themselves in prayer. And the second thing is just disciplining themselves in the reading of the totality of scripture, not simply taking the little snippet and the the, the little tidbit that you get on Sunday, but to actually spend time engaging in the word every day. And for many people, the Bible is intimidating because there are so many pages and the pages are really thin and the book is really thick. And so for a lot of you guys, this is an intimidating thing. Most Christians that I've spoken to have said to me, um, I have not read through the entire Bible. And I think that's a travesty because I think that's one of the reasons why many of us fall into false teaching and false doctrine. Many of us uh, are led astray because we're not juxtaposing what we're being preached to on Sunday to what we're actually being exposed to from Monday through Saturday. And so that's really the main reason why I did it is to actually empower you to read through scripture because when you've read through scripture, it empowers you, one, two, it transforms you. For those of you who have engaged with us, with us I know there are plenty of you who have said this has been the most transformative thing that they've that you've ever done in your entire spiritual life that this has changed your life and what i hope i'm showing you is that you can actually read through the entire bible and it doesn't take you know, as much as you may think, people sometimes think it takes hours and hours and hours and hours to read the Bible and only the pastors have the time to do that. And yet what I'm showing you here is we've gone through just in the past two months, two two months, no, three months, maybe in the past three months, we've gone through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, first, sec, first Samuel, and we're getting close to finishing now second Samuel. And we're doing it with simply about 20 minutes of reading a day. And we've lost some days. We miss some days every now and then. But just in that regular discipline of reading the word, we get through a lot of scripture. And for those of you who've been with me since about uh, since about August last year, no, about September last year, we started with Matthew and we read through the entire New Testament with 20, 30 minutes. And then we spent another 20, 30 minutes, just reflecting over the text. So we read for about 20, 30 minutes, and then we reflect. And I call it a rant. The reason why I call it a rant is because I want, I don't want you guys thinking I have like this well-planned, you know, uh, uh, dissertation for you based off of what we're reading or a study of what we're reading. This is a reflection. I've got nothing planned today. I've got nothing. I'm just waiting to see what, what the Lord wants to speak to me and speak into me about. Uh, before we get started, um, I want you to go ahead and turn your Bibles to second, uh, Samuel chapter 16. And, uh, so before we get started, I want to uh, first thank you guys. I want to thank you guys. Um, I want to thank all of you who have responded to uh to becoming patrons to becoming supporters of the opus frere ministry to becoming patrons of what we do here it is your support that allows me to now begin to think creatively and to really expand what we're looking to do moving forward it's your support that's giving me now possibility and access to be able to now open up to other ideas to bible studies to whatever it is that the lord is inspiring and so i just want to say thank you to all of you who are patrons now um who are supporting and yes it's a ten dollar a month and it, uh donation but for some of you you guys may not think okay ten dollars a month is not that big of a deal but those of you who have we're, we're already i think we're almost 90 percent 
towards our goal of patrons to start having monthly uh, Bible studies, to have monthly studies of scripture, uh, monthly deeper studies of scripture. And as we get to our second tier goal, we're going to be moving towards weekly study of scripture. By the way, this is not a Bible study. Okay. This is just a meditation or reading. This is not a Bible study, but we want to also spend time in the study of scripture and that will be an opportunity. And so, um, I just want to say, guys, thank you for supporting, uh, this, this ministry is really intended to empower you, to empower you in the word. And I just, I'm just, man, I'm just encouraged that you guys have supported and that there are more of you who are messaging saying, Hey, how can I become a patron? How can I connect? I would love to support, um, with, you know, I, you can give more. Some of you are giving 20, $30 a month, which really covers for, which gets us even closer to our goal. But for those of you who say, Hey, you know, I only have $10. Listen, $10 a month is a big deal. Okay. It's a big deal. It means the world to me that you guys are supporting in this way. And I want to say this as well is regardless of your support, we started this without your support. We're going to continue doing this without your support. Um, I just, I know that the Lord is leading me away now from uh, becoming, from being a faculty member, a university faculty member to focusing most of my time in helping equip you and empower you. So your giving allows us to be able to do that. And so um, if you want to know how to become a patron, how to support, um, you just join my Patreon. Uh, it's on. So if you click the link in the bio, both on IG and on TikTok, um, the link will be in the bio. If you click the link in the bio, you'll be able to, uh, I believe it's the first link there. You can click that link and you can become a patron. Oh, and there's a quick bonus is from here on out. I promise this to you guys. And I know I've been messaging my patrons because that's really where I get to do closer, deeper, intimate community with you guys. Um, I'm beginning to, you know, since now I'm back in town. I am leaving town tomorrow, but I will be committing to doing the read and rant with you guys. Now, for those of you who know, this read and rant that we're doing right now goes to our read and rant podcast. So I want to encourage you guys, go ahead and download the podcast. We're almost at 15,000 now. Guys, just in a short period of time, this thing is moving so fast. It's crazy. I, I would have never expected that. Um, never would have, have I expected that, but here we are right? Um, that so many of you have already downloaded the Read and Rant podcast. Um, continue to get the content there. The content is going to continue to go there. But remember, the rhythm is every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Okay. It's Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And so um, I just want to say to you, uh, if you, if you want to get the Read and Rants right away, because the rhythm is Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you won't really get this episode till maybe about a month and a half from now, maybe six weeks from now. Uh, yeah, somewhere around, somewhere, somewhere around six weeks from now, given the rhythm that we're in right now. So if you're looking to get today's Read and Rant as we engage in it, I'm going to start posting them real time on, on, um, on Patreon as well. And I know those of you who have checked it out have seen that I'm starting to commit to that. So right after this, I'm going to post the edited audio of this one on our Patreon as well. So that way you get it. But um, I do want to say that, that guys, it, it really, again, this is just a new rhythm and a new commitment that I'm making because of your support. Without it, I would continue to do what I was doing before. Okay. This is just so that I can do more. Um, but again, um, I, I just, I'm just really encouraged, super encouraged by you guys, super encouraged by, um, your commitment to this, but that's not why we're here. Uh, the reason why we're here is to spend time in the word in reflection of the word. So let's get right to it. Uh, second Samuel chapter 16, second Samuel chapter 16. And I'm so encouraged by your prayers as well, guys. Some of you guys can't support. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. Your words of encouragement mean so much. Your prayers mean so much. Checking in on me and my wife means so much. Um, I am so encouraged by y'all. So encouraged by you all. Um, so yeah, Second Samuel chapter 16. If you can, turn your Bible there. And then we're going to pray. And we're just going to ask the Lord to give us guidance and to lead us into this time. Father, I just ask right now. Lord, the three questions that I ask every time, every morning that I spend in reading your word is, Lord, what are you revealing concerning yourself? Lord, what are you revealing about yourself today? And 
And the second question that I have, Lord, is, is what are you revealing concerning people, your people? Lord, you in this ministry of reconciliation, what are you revealing concerning your people? And Lord, I ask also, Lord, what are you revealing concerning me? As I read this today, Lord, convict me today. Correct me. Lord, transform me. Speak to me today and speak to every one of us today as we engage in this word. Yes, in your name we pray. Amen. Verse 1, 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, it says this. When David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, who met him with a couple of saddled donkeys and on them 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, what do you mean to do with these? So Ziba said to the, so Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and the summer fruit for the young men to eat and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. Then the king said, and where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem for he said, today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. So the king said to Ziba, here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you that I may find favor in your sight, O king. Now, when David came to Bahurim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, coming from there. He came out, cursing continuously as he came. And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Also, Shimei said thus when he cursed, come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. Then Abishai, the son of Zerurah, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my Lord, the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, see how my son who came from my own body seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite let him alone and let him curse for so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. And David and his men went along the road. Shimei went along the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went, threw stones at him and picked up dust. Now the king and all the people who were with him became weary, so they refreshed themselves there. Meanwhile, Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was with him. And so it was, when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king, long live the king. So Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, No. But whom the Lord and his people and all the men of Israel choose, his I will be, and with him I will remain. Furthermore, whom shall, should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son? As I have served in your father's presence, so will I be in your presence. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, give advice as to what we should do. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you, have that you are abhorred by your father. Then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the top of the house, and Absalom went into his father's concubines 
in the sight of all Israel. Now the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. Hmm. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Now let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and weak and make him afraid. And all the people who are with him will flee, and I will strike only the king. Then I will bring back all the people to you. When I'll return except the man whom you seek, all the people will be at peace. And the saying pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Hmm. Then Absalom said, Now call Hushai the archite also, and let us hear what he says too. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom spoke to him, saying, Ahithophel has spoken up in this manner. Shall we do as he says, if not speak up? So Hushai said to Absalom, The advice that Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. For, says Hushai, you know your father and his men, that they are mighty men, and they are enraged in their minds like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. And your father is a man of war and will not camp with the people. Surely, by now, he is hidden in some pit or in some other place, and it will be when some of them are overthrown at first, that whoever hears it will say, there is a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. And even he who is valiant, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will melt completely. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man, and those who are with him are valiant men. Therefore, I advise that all Israel be fully gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba, like the sand that is by the sea for the multitude, and that you go to battle in person. So we will come upon him in some place where he may be found, and we will fall on him as the dew falls on the ground, and of him and all men who are with him, there shall not be left so much as one. Moreover, if he has withdrawn into the city, then all Israel shall bring ropes to that city, and we will pull it into the river until there is no one, I'm sorry, until there's not one small stone found there. So Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the advice of Hushai the archite is better than the advice of Ahithophel. For the Lord had purposed to defeat the good of advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. Goodness gracious. Then Hushai said to Zadok, and Abiathar the priests. Thus and so Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so I have advised. Now therefore, send quickly and tell David, saying, Do not spend this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily cross over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Now Jonathan and Ahimaaz stayed at Enrogel, for they dared not be seen coming into the city. So a female servant would come and tell him, and they would go and tell the king and tell King David. Nevertheless, a lad saw them and told Absalom, but both of them went away quickly and came to a man's house in Bahurim, who had a well in his court, and they went down into it. Then the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and spread ground grain on it, and the thing was not known. And when Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, Where is Ahimaaz and Jonathan? So the woman said to them, They have gone over the water brook. And when they had searched and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. Now it came to pass, after they had departed, that they came up out of the well and went and told King David and said to David, Arise and cross over the water quickly, for thus has Ahithophel advised against you. So David and all the people who were with him arose and crossed over the Jordan by morning light. Not one of them was left who had gone over the Jordan. Now Hithophel saw that his advice was not followed, 
He saddled a donkey and arose and went home to his house to his city. Then he put his household in order and hanged himself and died. And he was buried in his father's tomb. Then David went to Mahinaim and Absalom crossed over the Jordan. He and all the men of Israel with him. And Absalom made Amasa captain of the army instead of Joab. This Amasa was the son of a man whose name was Jithra an Israelite, who had gone in to Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zeruiah, Joab's mother. So Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. Now it happened when David had come to Mahinam, that Shobi, the son of Nahash, from Rabbah, of the people of Ammon, Machir, son of Amiel, from Lodabar, and Barzalai, the Gilead, from Rogelim, brought beds and basins, earthen vessels and wheat, barley and flour, parched grain and beans, lentils and parched seeds, honey and curds, sheep and cheese of the herd for David and the people who were with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. And David numbered the people who were with him and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. Then David sent out one-third of the people under the hand of Joab, one-third under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, and one-third under the hand of Atai, the Gittite. And the king said to the people, I also will surely go out with you myself. But the people answered, You shall not go out, for if we flee away, they will not care about us nor if half of us die, will they care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us now, for you are now more help to us in the city. And the king said to them, whatever seems best to you, I will do so. So the king stood beside the gate and all the people went out by hundreds and by thousands. Now the king had commanded Joab, Abishai, and Atai saying, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains orders concerning Absalom. So the people went out into the field of battle against Israel. The battle was in the woods of Ephraim. The people of Israel were overthrown there before the servants of David, and a great slaughter of 20,000 took place there that day, for the battle there was scattered over the face of the whole countryside, and the woods devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. Then Absalom met with the servants of David. Absalom rode on a mule. The mule went under the thick burrows, sorry, the mule went under the thick bows of the great terebinth tree, and his head caught in the terebinth, so he was left hanging between heaven and earth, and the mule which was under him went on. Now a certain man saw it and told Joab and said, I saw Absalom hanging on a terebinth tree. Hmm. So Joab said to the men, or so, so Joab said to the man who told him, You just saw him? And why did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have given you 10 shekels of silver and a belt. But the man said to Joab, though I were to receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Atai saying, beware lest anyone touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise I would have dealt falsely against my own life for there's nothing hidden from the king. And, and you yourself would have set yourself against me. Then Joab said, I cannot linger with you. And he took three spears in his hand and thrust them through Absalom's heart while he was still alive in the midst of the terebinth tree. And 10 young men who bore Joab's armor surrounded Absalom and struck and killed him. So Joab blew the trumpet and the people returned from pursuing Israel for Joab held back the people and they took Absalom and cast him into a large pit in the woods and laid a very large heap of stones over him. Then all Israel fled everyone to his tent. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken up a pillar for himself, which is in King's Valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. And he called the pillar after his own name. And to this day, it's called Absalom's monument.
Then Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said, Let me run now and take the news to the king, how the Lord avenged him of his enemies. So Joab said to him, You shall not take the news this day, for you shall take the news another day. But today you shall take no news, because the king's son is dead. Then Joab said to the Cushite, Go tell the king what you have seen. So the Cushite bowed himself to Joab and ran. And Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, again said to Joab, But whatever happens, please let me run also after the Cushite. So Joab said, Why will you run, my son, since you have no news ready? But whatever happens, he said, let me run. So he said to him, Run. And Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. Now David was sitting between two gates, and a watchman went up to the roof over the gate to the wall, lifted his eyes and looked, and there was a man running alone. Then the watchman cried out and told the king, and the king said, If he is alone, there is news in his mouth. And he came rapidly and drew near. Then the watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called to the gatekeeper and said, There's another man running alone. And the king said, He also brings news. So the watchman said, I think the running of the first is like the running of Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, He is a good man and comes with good news. So Ahimaaz called out to the king and said, All is well. Then he bowed down with his face to the earth before the king and said, Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my lord the king. And the king said, Is the young man Absalom safe? And Ahimaaz answered, When Joab sent the king's servant and me your servant, I saw great tumult, but I did not know what it was about. And the king said, Turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. Just then the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, There is good news, my lord the king, for the Lord has avenged you this day of all those who rose against you. And the king said to the Cushite, Is the young man Absalom safe? So the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise against you to do harm be like that young man. And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he wept, he said thus, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place, O Absalom, my son, my son. We're going to stop right here. Um, I have many thoughts that are racing as I'm spending time reflecting on this uh, text. Uh, There's a lot to unpack here. A lot to unpack. And unfortunately, we're not afforded the time to unpack all that there is to unpack in this particular portion of Scripture. But rather, what I want to do is is I want to simply just reflect on what the Lord is moving me towards. And there's two things that the Lord is moving me. He's he's moving me as I'm reading this because um, while there are a lot of things that I've, I mean, I, I can't count the number of times that I've read this portion of text. But he always gives me something new. Like, I think that's, that's what's so profound about the word of God is when we read it, not from uh, just an intellectual perspective, but when we read it from our spirit, prayerfully asking for the Holy Spirit to speak to us in our time in the reading, that the Lord will reveal something to us then, now. I mean, that's the powerful thing about all this, right? Is that the Lord can reveal what's then, now. Um, Give me one second. Hello? Oh, okay. Um, And so for me, it's... This particular text is revealing something even in my contemporary moment. 
in this present moment. And I wanted to share it because I think it's it's critical and it's important. Um, if you have been spending time with us and journeying through the scriptures, I hope what you've been getting throughout this narrative, because what we're reading is a biblical story, a biblical narrative. We're reading a major plot with many subplots. We're, re- we're reading a plot of scripture, but many subplots, right? The major plot is, is that we see that there was something that humanity lost from the beginning at Adam, when God called Adam to be his imager on earth, when God wanted to be present on earth, God's presence on earth was through mankind. That's why he breathed into him and he became a living being. And we talked about this. If anything, go back and go check out the other read and rants because I, I want to make sure I, I invest some time into what I want to work into today. But we see now that God, who wanted to image, to rule the earth, to have dominion over the earth through mankind, because he gave man dominion as his ambassadors on earth to rule the earth, that is to rule through his government, his kingdom. Remember, this has always been about the kingdom. It's been about the kingdom from the beginning. And yet God's kingdom is always a strange kingdom because it's a kingdom that's about um, how God rules and how God sees and how God governs, not how mankind rules and mankind wants to govern because mankind's rule and mankind's governing is about power. It's about influence. It's about popularity. But God's rule is more about the restoration, not just the restoration of all things, but God's rule is about his glory. His rule is about his glory. And God is ruling through all things. And when God rules, everything rules in order for God to continue to be God. And if God is God and fully God and fully manifest and fully expressed on the earth, there is no pain. There is no suffering. There is no, um, um, all the things that we see in the world today come out of a deviation from the rule of God. The rule of God is the reason why there's pain, why there's suffering, why there's why there are prisons, why we are the way that we are, because what Adam revealed is our proclivity to want to rule for our own power, our own self-pleasure, our own gratification, and not for God. And because we're not ruling with God in mind, but we're ruling with self in mind, the consequence of that is everything that is wrong in this world. It comes out of self-glory, self-pleasure. It comes out of brokenness that we're trying to satiate for ourselves. And as a result, we get to where we are. And yet what God is doing is, is he's showing how he's going to reestablish his rule and that the work of reestablishing his rule is going to be through a people because God is not doing anything on the earth without human participation. And so he calls Abraham and tells Abraham that he's going to be the family that brings righteousness and justice to the world. This is what God is talking about here because the righteousness never separates from justice. Let me make that note real quick. There's no separation between the righteousness of God and the justice of God. As a matter of fact, the word righteousness in the Bible is the word justice. So that's for all the people who say preach the gospel, but don't preach justice. No, you cannot preach the gospel and not preach justice because God's righteousness is justice. And justice comes in all forms. It comes in human rights. It comes in economic equality. It comes in opportunity. It comes in service. It comes into the care for those who are less enfranchised, those who are sick, those who are broken. There is no gospel fruit if there is no justice. Wherever there is injustice in the world, wherever there's evil, wherever there's war, wherever there's pestilence, wherever these things are happening, it's a result of a disconnect from the presence of God. And yet what Christ came to do is he came to restore all things, bringing us back into relationship with him. And it's through our relationship with God that justice is attained. Justice does not separate from righteousness. I say that because what God is about is, is God is about reinstituting his kingdom and in his kingdom, there's justice. The question is, is what does the justice of God look like? That's another conversation for another day, but don't ever take, don't ever, I'm just a side note. Don't ever let anybody diminish the fact that we as believers and as the church are called to speak out against injustice. We are called to speak out against those who are less enfranchised. We're called to stand up and to be mediators, bringing the justice of God on earth. What the enemy wants now is he wants to dilute the gospel to make people think that salvation is only personal and that salvation is incorporate. 
God was not in the business of just saving your soul. God was in the business of restoring humanity and restoring the earth. He wants to bring a new heaven and a new earth. He's calling to restore all things. And if he's calling to restore all things, then he's not just pulling us out of the earth to take us to heaven so we can enjoy this thing and let him destroy the earth. No, rather he's coming down to establish his kingdom on earth, that the earth would be restored, that there would be no more pain, no more suffering. Therefore, then we're not trying to leave the earth. That's not what we're trying to do. We're not trying to go up and float out and leave this bad earth, but God is calling us to dwell in it, to tabernacle in it. <laughs> I say that because it is critical. You know, we, we talk about all these things that are happening in the world today, and we talk about some of these other agendas and other things that are going on. And I've always said that these things exist simply because the church hasn't been vocal. We talk about how, well, this organization and that organization is anti-gospel, is anti-Jesus, and yet they want to talk about justice. This is not the Bible. This is not justice. And yet the scriptures tell us specifically that he called his children to bring righteousness and justice. The reason why people are speaking up today is because the church wasn't. And the travesty today is that the children of God are more interested in going to church on Sunday than seeking the restoration of the world. We're more interested in going in our little boxes, praying a couple songs, singing, singing a couple songs, praying a couple words, hearing a 30 minute sermon, going home, living in our nice, comfortable homes, come back on Sunday again, do this again and continue that repeat, 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 not realizing that God did not come for us to just simply, you know, be satisfied with simply the study of the word and the revelation of God and the revelation of the gospel, but he called us to engage with the world. He didn't say his kingdom will go. He said in the prayer, my kingdom come. His kingdom does not leave. His kingdom comes. I'm sorry, I'm ranting. I don't have time for all that. It's to say that now God, who's instituting his righteousness and justice on earth, by the way, we're just, I'm just reading through what we've read through is doing it through the children of God, calling them to be this nation of priests. And we see how they failed and failed over and over again. But then he gave them the atonement in Leviticus. Then we see now them journey to this promised land in numbers. Then we see that, that, that they continue to fail over and over again. And then he calls the next generation to go into the land promised to be that nation because this nation could not. And so then Deuteronomy comes where the law is given again. That's what Deuteronomy means. It means the law again. So he gives them the law again, this children, these children that he's giving the law again, that, that the promise came from Abraham to Isaac, to Jacob, now to his 12 sons. Now these 12 sons have become 12 tribes. And now these 12 tribes have grown into becoming a nation. They're going through the, through the wilderness. And now they've gotten to the promised land and Deuteronomy is where they get the law again. And after they've gotten the law again in Deuteronomy, then they go into the land. That's Joshua. They subdue the land. God gave them victory in subduing the land so that they can become this nation of priests. But in Judges, we learn that they've been influenced by the Canaanites and they become, rather than a holy nation, they become a Canaanite nation, following Canaanite gods, being influenced by the Canaanites. And because they've been influenced by the Canaanites, they became the Canaanites. And Judges ends with them living a life in moral depravity. That these people who've been chosen by God, called by God, who God had made a promise to them now, are a nation that's lived like every other nation. They're not separate. Uh, they've been influenced. They become those people. And then we go to Judges and then we go to Ruth. And Ruth tells us that while all this is happening, the book of Ruth is telling us that there's a king to come. The book of Ruth ends with, the book of Judges ends with, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The book of Ruth ends with, there is a king to come. Because that's what it was about. It was about the coming of the kingdom. It was about the establishing of the kingdom, that there was a king to come. And that's where we begin to see the genealogy. The reason why the book of Ruth is there is to show you how Ruth, how David connects to Abraham, how David connects to the promise of God, how David connects to what God is doing through the bloodline, that God has a covenantal bloodline that he's establishing to bring this righteousness and justice. This is what the scripture is all about. This is what the Bible is all about, y'all. The Bible is not about the rules because the rules in the Bible were not actually for us. They were for the children of Israel. This is about God shaping out his story and how he's going to restore all of humanity to bring restoration to all the earth, that he didn't want to bring a bunch of Christians who follow rules, but God wanted to rule the earth through his people. I'm sorry if I'm ranting, but this is critical, y'all. This is critical. 
because we get to the text and what we notice is in first Samuel is Saul was the king that they chose, but Ruth tells us that David was the king that God chose. Saul was what people wanted. David was who God had chosen. God chooses David. And now David has all these exploits by simply the grace of God, because David is part of something bigger. He's part of a bigger story. We talked about that before. He's part of a bigger story. He's part of a bigger plan because these are stories within the story. What's interesting to me in this particular part of the text, oh my gosh, I only have 10 minutes. What's interesting to me in this particular portion of the text, pay very close attention, family, is the literary voice of this part of the text has changed. The literary voice of this portion of scripture has changed. It shifts. Up until this point, we're following David. We're following David, his life, his ministry, his challenges, David's sins. Pay very close attention, y'all. Pay very, very close attention. This is important. This is important. Yes, Tammy, even against injustice against people of color. Yes, we are called to call all that out. But here's the thing, y'all. And I want you to pay attention to this. I got to go slow at this point because I want to make sure you're catching this. David has been called as king over Israel to continue the story of how God is bringing restoration to the whole world. Because that's what the Bible is. It's a long story. And so far up to this point, all the subplots in the plot is all connected to the plot. Okay. Make sure you see the Bible from a bigger picture here. All these subplots are connected to the plot. But then the subplot has changed here. We've been reading in 2 Samuel, pay very close attention, y'all, because this is powerful and something that really God is revealing to me today, even as I'm, as I'm reading through this. This subplot has changed. David, we see David's ascension into becoming king. David in pinnacle of his rule falls, fails, impregnates Bathsheba against her will. The child dies. Again, he births Solomon. But we're beginning to see the decline of all the things that have led up to this man who's been called by God, but this man who is profoundly imperfect. You know, they talk about the heroes in the Bible, David being one of the heroes. David is not a hero. David was simply called by God. David is not a hero. He's simply called by God for God to do what he intends to do through him. And God moves powerfully to him through him because he's the man after God's own heart. But pay very, very close attention. David has still sinned against God. And what's revealed is that even though David was forgiven of his sins, we talked about this about two days ago, that even though David is forgiven of his sins, there's still consequences to his sins. Forgiving of your sins does not remove the consequences of the sin. And so David suffers, maybe not the eternal consequence of sin, but he suffers the temporal momentary consequence of sin. Pay very close attention. This is important, y'all. This is important because we'll miss out on what, what's happening here. David sins. His family begins to fall apart. Consequence of sin. And the narrative shifts. Something slapped me today as I began to read this subplot in the major plot. Something shifts here. And it, it, when I was reading on Friday, it was... It was there and it kind of, I was praying on it. I said, why does this bother me? And then I, I'm reading it today and I'm going, why, why is this bothering me? And then boom, the Lord just hit me with it. 
what specifically was bothering me. What we've been reading, pay very close attention. From that point, we see over and over again the terminology of the king, the king, the king, the king. And that bothered me. And the reason why it bothered me was, um, the reason why it bothered me was because I'm, I'm reading this and I'm saying, why is he being called the king? And why is he not being called David? Why is it the king, the king, the king, the king, and not David? And then something really stuck out to me today as I'm reading this text is the narrative shifts from David now to Absalom. The central figure up to this point was David. But now after, after Tamar dies, after M, not dies, sorry, after Tamar is, um, is assaulted, after her brother had assaulted her, and then Absalom kills her, now it seems that Absalom now becomes a central figure in the story. Meaning, at this part of the text, David is not the main character. At this part of the text, we switch the angle and the vantage point of the narrative from David to now Absalom, which was particularly interesting to me because if there's anything I love about a good movie is when a good movie really opens up and unravels what's happening behind the scenes. You ever watched a movie where a crime film or any kind of movie, you know, where you, you know who the main character is, but then the narrative shifts over to a different vantage point and allows you to spend an incredible amount of time on another character. That's so, so, so a whole bunch of other things that are happening beyond this, behind the scenes. Like you see how the criminal was preparing to kill this person or how the criminal did all the hiding. You see the criminal's point of view. Isn't that interesting? That the narrator of the story felt it was important now to shift away from David and to shift towards Absalom. And now to see the story from Absalom's point of view. It's nothing like a good story that intricately unravels the character and the desire of the enemy. And what I love about it and what it exposes to me is behind the scenes, the enemy is at work. <laughs> what it reveals to me is that behind the scenes, the enemy is moving. What it reveals to me is there's a lot going on behind the scenes. A lot of things are happening behind the scenes. There's a lot of conversations and plans and strategies. When the scripture tells us about the wiles, it speaks about the wiles of the devil. The word wiles of the devil is the word uh, strategium, strategery, the strategy of the devil. There's no strategy without conversation, that there's a council of the enemy. There are principalities, principalities are organizations, and that the devil is at work even behind your back while you do not know there's so much that the enemy is doing that's at work to destroy the destiny that God has in your life. David's destiny, you would have said, is profoundly compromised because Absalom is amassing all this power and it feels important for us to actually see all these things that are happening, to see all the stuff that's brewing on behind the scenes because behind the scenes, the enemy's got a plan. 
The enemy always has a plan. Nothing ever happens by accident. The enemy always has a plan and the devil is at work and the devil is putting into action some things. He's he's working some things out. And so there are people that are at work, they're at work, they're at work, they're at work. The devil is at work. And it really sticks out to me because I'm reading this text and I'm realizing that the author is speaking as the enemy. Doesn't speak about David in the light of God, but David through the lens of the enemy. So now he's not David, he's the king. Oh, yeah, that king. Oh, yeah, the guy. You know, that that king, yeah. That that the king, the king. And I didn't know why it was so it was itching me deep in my spirit. I was like, what's this thing? This the king, the king, the king. That was Straight up bothered me to be honest with you, the king. But I wanted to make sure y'all 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 see that that there's something happening behind the scenes. But this is not where I'm at today. Let's see if I can if I can help you out here. I'm going to close this with a word of advice. Um, because we're seeing and learning something about what the enemy does behind closed doors. I'm going to close with that. Joab saw Absalom hanging on a terebinth tree. Absalom up to this point has been a pain in David's back, in David's neck. He's been a pain in David's behind. Absalom has up to this point has conspired to take over the kingdom that God had given David. Absalom has let evil completely consume him. But here's the thing, and this is the complexity of of David, is that David knows that Absalom is against him, but David still loves him. And David loves Absalom as his son. Pay close attention, family. This is so critical because it's going to open your eyes to something right now. It's going to really bring some clarity for you. David loves his son, even though his son hates him. His son wants to destroy him. His son wants the kingdom. Isn't it funny how we want a kingdom and how we were despisers of our heavenly father, even though our father loved us? Ah, This is the type of Christ that David is. That David, while knowing that his son hated him, David still loved him and did not plan for Absalom's demise. David wanted Absalom to be safe. He did not want Absalom to be dead because that is his son. And it might have been to David's detriment, but David was in no way intending on killing Absalom. In the same way that we despised God, God never despises us as his children. He has no intention to destroy us. Of course, we know how it ends with Absalom because Absalom's destruction came out of Absalom's intransigence. In the same way, our destruction comes out of our intransigence, our disobedience. But that's not, that's not, that's not where I want to go here. I want to talk about Joab for a second. And I want you to think about this for a moment. Joab has been with David. David hangs on the terebinth tree. A young man sees Absalom, sorry, not David. Absalom hangs on this terebinth tree, fully exposed. It's a sad ending. He's just taken off, running on a mule, a tree catches him, and then he's just hung. He's just hanging there, exposed, and he can't get down. That's just horrible, right? A man sees him hanging, alive, good and well, ready to be taken back to his father. Isn't it funny how God can stop us right where we are? Even with all the evil that we have, he can stop us right where we are. And he can have us stuck sitting there. And all we can do is hope to be brought back to his presence. Another conversation for another day. But pay attention to this. The man sees him. He calls on Joab. Joab says he should have killed him. But, but, 
But this man knows David's heart and he knows David doesn't want to kill his son. Joab then goes to the terebinth tree, mutilates and kills Absalom. And this is where the wisdom of God is being exposed today. And I want you to pay attention because this is just wisdom. This is exposed wisdom from the text. David knows who's against him. But David knows what he is for. He wants to preserve his kingdom. And at the same time, he wants to preserve his son. He doesn't want his son dead, but he needs to protect the kingdom and preserve the kingdom. Joab, on the other hand, he's with David. But Joab is not sensitive to what David wants. Joab is David's ally, not because of what David is for. Joab is David's ally because of what David is against. He's only allies with David because his enemy is David's enemy. And because his enemy is David's enemy, Joab's with him, but Joab's not completely with him. He's with him up until his enemy is David's enemy. And because he's up until where his enemy is David's enemy, what he's joined by is his own self-desire for what he wants out of what happens to the enemy and not what David wants. So Joab is actually not sensitive to David's desire. Joab is not sensitive to David's heart. David doesn't want his son dead. Bring my son back. We'll put him in jail. We'll lock him up. Who knows? Maybe we can rehabilitate him, but that's not what I want. But Joab is not interested in that. Joab is only friends with David at this point. His unity with David, his bond with David comes out of Absalom being his enemy. So when he finally gets a chance at Absalom, screw what David thinks. Screw if David wants Absalom. That's not my problem. I'm here because we have a similar enemy. And Joab kills the son that David loves. And I've learned something. And this is just a wisdom that we all need to pray into. Is to ask ourselves, who are we really friends with in our lives? Who are our friends because for many of us, our friends are our friends, not out of what we are joined by in similarity and desire towards. We're not unified by what we're for. We're actually friends by what we are against. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Here's the problem. When you are friends only because you are against what somebody else is against, then there's a moment that comes when you're going to get burned by that friend because that friend was never motivated by you or by what you desire or by your love. Your friend is motivated by what you are against. And so when the rubber meets the road and the time comes when you are confronted by that enemy, you can find yourself broken and hurt. Enemies of enemies, those who have made friends out of enemies and enemies end up over time being hurt by each other. Because the reality is, is you brought somebody into your life that doesn't really care for you simply there in your life because of what you are against. And I find often that we have people who have bonded over trauma, over pain, over what somebody did to them, not realizing that person's not really for you. They're just joined by pain. But the moment that that pain is confronted, you'll find yourself burned by that person because that person will confront what you may love and kill it and destroy it simply because they were never for you 
or for what you were for. They were simply against what you're against. And there are many of us today that all we really have are people in our lives right now who are simply against what we're against. And because we have people in our lives that are simply against what we're against, we are setting ourselves up to lose some of the things that we love because their intention was never what you love. Their desire wasn't for what you love. And so they get access to you to get to what they're against. Did you hear that? They get access to you for what you're against. And then you wonder why you get used. I thought we were friends. I thought we were together in this. I thought, I thought we had this. No, Joab don't care about your son. Joab doesn't care about Absalom. Joab wants Absalom dead. Even when they advised him not to, Joab said, nah, bro, I'm killing this dude. This dude's gone. Forget what David thinks. He literally, that's what he's saying in that chapter. He said, I don't care about what David thinks. Forget David's heart on this. That dude got to go. And so in the end, David is weeping and he has wished at the end that he had died in the place of his son, Absalom. David is heartbroken because he was betrayed by his friend. So let me ask you a question. Who are your friends? Why are you friends with the friends that you're friends with? Who, who, who are your acquaintances? Why are you in acquaintance with the people that you're in acquaintance with? Who are you connected with in your life? And why are you connected to those people that you are connected with? What brings you together? What joins you together? Is it similarity as to what we want and what we aspire to? Or are we simply being driven by what we're against? You want to know why there's so much hurt in the church? We spend more time being against the devil than being for Christ. We spend more time contending against the enemy than actually being joined by the love of God. We spend more time in our marriages, in our relationships, in our partnerships. We, have, we, we, we form alliances at our jobs and in our industries for what we're against and not what we're for. And we wonder why we take an L in the end. Yes, you suffer loss in the end because the friends that you chose were not what you were for. The friends that you chose were simply against what you were against. So evaluate your friends because you may need to lose some Joabs in your life. You may need to create a distance with some of the Joabs in your life. And yeah, we've had some good times together and we see the story. There's some good times that David had with Joab, but when it came to what was most important to David, Joab didn't care. So don't, don't juxtapose and superimpose whatever experiences you had in the past and say, man, we had a good time. We had, no, you, you guys were never for the same thing. David was for the kingdom. Joab was for Israel. David lost his son because Joab killed his son. And then the whole scripture shifts back to David and he weeps. Evaluate your friends. That's what I'm, that's what the Lord's convicting me of. Who am I friends with? Am I only friends with people who are against things or am I only, or am I friends with people because they're for what I'm for? Father, I ask today, Lord, as we engage through this day, Father, I, 
I pray as you're speaking to me today, Lord, about what motivates me, what alliances I form, what partnerships I've cemented, what relationships I've created. I ask, Lord, that you would convict me of whether or not I've formed an alliance of Joab's or if I've but really built covenant brothers and sisters who desire what I desire, who want to see what I want to see, who love what I love. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that you would teach us, Lord God. Give us your wisdom and open our eyes to the Joabs in our life. Lord, that we may be convicted of the truth of your message that you have called us to be one in you, unified as one in you, to have the same mind as you have in you, to pursue what you are pursuing, not to contend simply against what you contend. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Guys, thank you so much. Uh, I love you guys very much. As I mentioned before, for those of you who are on Patreon, this audio is going to be edited and available to you probably in another like 15, 20 minutes. Um, I want to thank all of you who are supporting on Patreon. If you want to know how to support on Patreon um, with a $10 a month donation, uh, it is uh, becoming a, a member of what we're doing here. Uh, just go to the first link uh, on the link in the bio. So if you click the link in the bio, you'll see that first link. And there you can you can contribute. And let me tell you guys, it may not seem like a big deal to you, but it is a big deal uh, to see you guys coming together and making what we do here a reality because it's opening doors now for us to have Bible studies and going to deeper um, uh, dimensions of scripture. And so anyway, love you guys very much. God bless you. See you guys.